In a lot of analysis of last night's State of the Union address, so tonight I'm going to take a little bit different angle on my analysis for you, but I want to start by asking you this. For yourself personally, how would you describe last night's State of the Union address? I think some people might say, man, you could call last night a mic drop type of night. You could say that Trump knocked it out of the park. That thing was a home run, a grand slam. In fact, many of you even called the show and said, hey, it was by far, this is what you said to me, this is by far the best State of the Union speech you had ever seen in your entire lives. I mean, at one point last night, I'm watching this thing, and if you watch President Trump's Make America Great Again rallies, you know how he ends every single rally. He's done this throughout the entire campaign. And so at one point, I'm watching this, and he kept hitting every single note so well that I thought, are they going to pump some speakers in right now? And you're going to start hearing, you can't always get what you want. I mean, the stones are about to break out of this thing. It went so well. In fact, this was even stunning. People were shocked with this. Last night's speech went so well that according to CBS, 76%, 76% of the people approved of last night's speech. And I think this is where you're seeing a lot of Democrats spin last night and today, and they're getting very nervous about 2020 because, check this out, 82%, 82% of independents actually approved of last night's speech, and even 30%, 30% of the Democrat Trump derangement syndrome people said, hey, I think I approve of his State of the Union speech. That's how well this thing was laid out. Now, one thing I do want to remind you of, we've talked about it here on the show before, but, but remember this, and this is the angle I want to take tonight. President Trump's first real love, his first real ambition growing up, wasn't to be a real estate guy. He wanted to be a movie producer. So when I watch President Trump oftentimes from in front of the stage or what he does, I really watch him through a persuasion filter and how he persuades audience. And last night, I think President Trump took Shakespeare's advice and said, look, all the world's a stage and the men and women are merely players. Last night, if you watch closely and you watch it through a persuasion filter, President Trump was the director and the actor of his own, what, hour and 20-minute play? When you look at how he framed and orchestrated and laid out the guests during the speech, it was though there was a conductor there literally playing your heartstrings. I mean, when he walked through initially from the D-Day vets, and then he has the young girl uh, who, who's 10, who raised $40,000 for cancer. Then he brings up the gentleman who was shot seven times, a Pittsburgh law enforcement officer. He'd been shot at the synagogue. Um, then he has a, an ICE agent gentleman, an expert stand-up, as he's talking about border security and how this ICE agent is saving young kids from being trafficked as they come across the border. Then very heart-string moving moment when he introduced the family that had lost their 80-year-old parents. They had the, the grandparent, the grandkid, uh, the great-grandkid there, and they'd lost their, their parents to an illegal alien. And then, of course, this one got me at least, the World War II vets, the man that helped liberate Da Howe, the uh, concentration camp. And then the man that he actually liberated was sitting there next to him. It was incredible to watch that and the story about how the man that was liberated, you know, they were put on a train. They were told they were going to go somewhere. It was halted that he was in this concentration camp. The dad was freaking out. Everybody was freaking out because they, they saw a soldier coming. And then all of a sudden the dad goes, it's the Americans. Like, hey, the saving grace is here. I just thought it was such 
a moving moment. So I want to take a couple moments here and just share with you some other highlights from last night's speech, but would love to know your point of view and please watch it through that persuasion filter. The world is a stage because President Trump conducted it and played it very, very well last night. Here's one area where I think he trolled, played the Democrats, and they didn't even know it. Because think about this visual right now. This visual I'm about to show you heading into a 2020 election. No one has benefited more from a thriving economy than women who have filled 58% of the newly created jobs last year. to do that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before. Don't sit yet. You're going to like this. <laughs> and exactly one century after Congress passed the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. going to like this. I mean, just think about this room. He just said we've got more women in the workforce than ever before. And then you cut to a bunch of Democrat women standing up and giving him one of these. That optic going to 2020. You know, most people aren't going to understand the context that they're just going to see Trump, a bunch of Democrat women cheering him on. But oh, OK, Trump must be good because he knows if he wins the women vote, he wins in 2020. He totally trolled him. He pressed the buttons. They stood up. And boom, now he's got the optics that he needs going to the campaign. All right, there's other clips. We want to get to this. Earlier today, Senator John Hoban was in a closed-door meeting. It's the second of his border conference uh, committee hearing. He sat down with a lot of the Border Patrol experts. ICE agents went out to talk about what are they going to do to make sure we secure our border, fund the government. Fascinating, fascinating interview. Here's my interview with Senator John Hoban. Senator Hoven, welcome back to Point of View, sir. Let's start with this. Your most memorable moment from last night's State of the Union speech is? Well, I thought some of the times when he tried to bring people together, I thought it worked. Uh, you know, he talked about a whole range of issues important to the country uh, and really made an effort to say, hey, look, let, let, let's try to get together on some of these. And I thought, you know, particularly over as the speech went on, he was able to do that, actually get both sides up 
you know, uh, clapping, and, and uh, I thought that was good. I, I mean, I, I thought he did a good job of it. Yeah, at one point we had almost the entire chamber chanting USA, singing happy birthday to people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a right. Good, it was a good vibe. Right, he, he, he cut, you know, he cut <laughs> through the tension and got people, I thought, uh, to respond in a positive way. So, that, you know, that's what he was shooting for, and I thought that was good. So you talked about bringing people together and unifying. Let's talk about that, because today you were in this closed-door session about this Borders Conference Committee on um, Security. So take us in the room, sir. I know it's closed session, but take us in the room. Who was there? How many people? What was the conversation like? Well, it was our full conference committee, which is really good, because as you know, at our earlier meeting, I'd said, hey, let's get the Border Patrol professionals in and let, let's talk to them, have them tell us what they need, where they need it, why they need it, and, and what funding they need. Um, as the committee talked about it, they wanted to do it uh, in the SCIF, the SCIF room, so that we could talk about confidential information. And then I said, well, that's fine, but then I want to make sure we have opportunity to come out afterwards, which is why we had the stakeout afterwards so we could answer questions and talk about the information that we were provided. But the key was it was an opportunity for the professionals to tell us what they need and for everyone to ask them questions, both Republicans and Democrats. And I think it really helped to drive home the fact that we need border barrier as well as personnel and technology, the three-legged stool on the border to get the job done. But I guess what my, when I meant who's there, I know your conference is there, but was it 10 Border Patrol people? Was it Border Patrol and ICE agents? Oh. Yeah, it was both, uh, for example, the, the chief of the uh, U.S. Border Patrol, who I'd met with previously, but also we actually had people there who are the sector chiefs, the people that are out there on the line doing the job. And one of the things I loved about why you wanted to do this, sir, is you said, hey, to take the politics out of it. So what I'd like to know from you, did you hear anything today that surprised you that you think, you know what, the American people need to know this, but they're not being told by the media. Anything like that that you heard today? No, but, but I think what, what it helped do, it, it's really drove home the message that we need border, border barrier, like I say, as well as people and technology. You need all three to get the job done. I think it helped break down some of that resistance, uh, particularly in, in, on the other side of the aisle, to border barrier. So I, I think we're getting close to the point where we're going to get money for border barrier. The key is whether we can get enough so that we can put a funding package together that passes the House, the Senate, and gets signed by the President. So let's talk about that, because now you've got the experts in there, the people that are on the front lines, that are putting their lives on the line to protect our sovereignty as a nation. Right. How important was the idea of a border barrier or a wall? What do they say about that? And how much of that do they do they want? We've heard President Trump now say, hey, I'm not talking C to signing C. But are they talking from San Diego to the Texas border? Or what are we speaking about specifically? Right. So right now we have about 640 miles of barrier. A lot of that's vehicle barrier, like half of it, which doesn't really cu uh, cut it. It, it, it. We need uh, the steel bollard, the better barriers. So they want to do ultimately about another eight to 900 miles. So it's not the whole barrier. It's a you know, 1900 border. It's, it's a 1900 mile border. But we need to replace some of what we have, and then we need a lot more. One of the things that came through that I think was helpful is, you know, we're, we're getting some pushback on this. Well, you can't, it can't be the same in every location because you got different conditions. Border Patrol talked about how that's correct, and they want it configured differently in different places. For example, some places you have rivers and flooding, and you need levees. 
So they talked about working with the locals. I think that helped break down, uh, you know, some of the resistance. And then this prioritization issue where we talked about how, yeah, you can put a lot more technology and put a lot more people on the ports of entry, but then you'll just force, you know, the trafficking around the ports of entry to the rural areas, which is why you've got to have the border barrier. So I think both of those were compelling arguments that hopefully helped us make the case to get to a, the kind of funding package we need. So do you see that now that people are starting to compromise? And I'll give you an example. Senator Dick Durbin said today, he goes, look, the thing that jumped out to me from these experts on the border was that they, they, they made it sound like the number one most important thing to them is not a border barrier, but technology at the port of entries. One, do you have the same assessment? And two, because of his assessment, do you sense now that the Democrats are going, you know what? We, we do need barriers. And are they open to eight to 900 miles like you just suggested? Well, and I talked to Senator Dur uh, Durbin before he left the meeting. I get that he wants technology. That's his number one priority. That's one of the three <laughs> things we need. But it is not, it's not truly cost effective or mission effective without the other two legs of the stool, without the, the you know, personnel, technology, and the border barrier. You need all three. So, of course, he's going to come out and emphasize that. But they were very clear. And again, I've talked to him, and he recognizes that it's part of the solution. So Senator Shelby said, hey, this is a multi-year program. As appropriators, you guys do it year by year by year. You just mentioned we need eight to 900 miles, according to Border Patrol people, a barrier and or a wall. Mm -hmm. We were talking about 200 miles at 5.7 billion. So from a realistic perspective, sir, as we come out of this deal, how much money do you think could realistically be appropriated for the wall, and what is that going to get us? Another 200 miles, 100, what do you think? Well, obviously, I, I'd like to get to $5.7 So that's what we're trying to get. But how much we get, I, I'm not going to go into a number yet because we're not there. What I want to get to is a funding package and a number, like I say, that is accept, you know, that we can get passed through the Congress and that the, and that the president would accept and sign the bill. That's what I'm, I'm trying to get to. The other thing to keep in mind is that's eight to 900 additional miles of border barrier on top of the 640 miles that we have. And, and um, some of that, or a lot of that 640 has to be replaced. And we've appropriated money the last two years to, to do that. So right now, uh, the Customs and Border Protection Border Patrol, they are using money we appropriated in 17 and 18 to both build new border barrier and replace some of the existing border barrier. That's ongoing right now. A couple of things I want like to touch. 120 miles worth. Touch on, sir, that as you guys came out of this meeting, um, you had a mini press conference, and Senator Shelby, uh, the, the chair of the Appropriations Committee, said one of the things that surprised him today is he heard from, it sounded like from these experts, that terrorists are indeed crossing our border. Is that true? Is that what mm -hmm. was talked about today in this meeting? If so, how yes. many? Well, that was brought up at the meeting, but I, you know, I, last week I and I've met with, I've met with Customs and Border Protection and Border Patrol before, so I, I already knew that. I already gone through but, those. But numbers. my issue, sir, but, is the fact that the, you know that was that was that, that was. My issue, sir, is that recently the Department of Homeland Security released an actual report. So, you know, Secretary Nielsen said we have not cut any uh, terrorists at the actual border. They were being cut at airports, but now it sounds like Border Patrol is saying something differently. So I guess I'm trying to find where's the congruency here. Yeah, Border Patrol, in their statistics, they show that they have. So, uh, and I can go back and look at the actual number, but I, that was a question I'd asked last week in one of their briefings, and they indicated that, you know, terrorists had 
come through that they'd stopped or deterred. Well, Senator Capito, excuse me, out of West Virginia, one of the things that she yes. said as well, sir, she goes, look, we're always told that 90% of the drugs are caught at port of entry, but what's actually beginning to happen now is they're, they're catching a lot more of the drugs outside of the port of entry. Is that true? And if so, what's happening? Well, it's both as they get better at the ports of entry, they force the, the drug trafficking around. And that's, of course, one of the reasons they need border barrier. But it's, you know, it's uh, people coming here illegally. It's the drug flow. It's, it's gang members like MS-13. It's the terrorist threat. It's all of these things. I mean, all those things go into the need to secure the border. Border security is a fundamental part of national security. I think we all understand that, sir. So, so what's next? And do you get a deal done? I mean, the tentative date is Friday. What's next, and do you get a deal done by Friday? Uh, the word we're using is, is hopefully. We're hopeful that we can get something done. In other words, we hope we can get a, an agreement by Friday so that we could vote it through next week, because we have until February 15th. So ideally, we'd get something by the end of this week, and then we'd have next week to vote it through. Now, I think if it took a little longer and we got the agreement next week, we'd still find a way to move it through. The key is that we get to an agreement that people will support. Anything else, sir, that I'm asking you, do you think the people of North Dakota, Minnesota, America should know from this meeting? Just so that we're working on it, and it's not just about, um, you know, getting Homeland uh, Security funding squared away. But then that enables us to pass the rest of the appropriations bills for the full year and, and have the full government funding in place through the proper process. So I, I'm, I'm really hopeful we can get to an agreement. Senator Hovind, as always, thank you for the time, sir. Great work. We appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing, uh, hope you guys can get a deal done and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks, Chris. Good to visit with you. Thanks again to Senator Hova. Love to know your point of view. We heard there, I think, pretty fascinating. He's saying, hey, CBP is saying there are some terrorists that are crossing our southern border.